turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, I'll be reading verses 23 through 31. Acts 9, 23 through 31. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Paul. But their plot became known to him. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And now, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, historical word to our hearts and minds and lives. Father, help me this morning. Help me portray history. Help me portray your intervention into human history for the glory of Jesus. Oh, let me represent this passage, your word, well, so that we will see the beauty of your handiwork and it will affect us as we open up to read your Apostle Paul in our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus' command to his people is simple and clear. Take up your cross and follow me into glory. In other words, he's saying, when my Father reveals to you who I truly am by the Holy Spirit, you will find yourselves no longer of this world. You will remain in the world but you will not be in cahoots with the cultures of the world. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will be free from the bondage of your sin. You will be free from the guilt of your sin before Almighty God. And you will thus be free to be ushered into the experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in order to know the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He is saying, you will love what I love, and you will hate what I hate. Pick up your cross and follow me. We have seen over the previous two weeks that Paul was set apart before the creation of the world by God. And then, in time and in space, one day on that Damascus road, God then called him to himself. He was about 28 to 35 years old. And the result of Paul being called into fellowship with God's Son 
was alienation and hatred from those who are of this world. Those who are of the spirit of this age as Paul himself once was. Alienation, persecution, ridicule, even the world trying to kill him, much less just ostracize him. And not just from secular, unreligious people and their institutions, but also religious people and their institutions because they're of the world. And so what we have illustrated in our passage this morning again is that the great persecutor of the church becomes the persecuted precisely because he came out of the world into the kingdom of God's Son, the Son of His love. And nothing was sweeter to Saul of Tarsus. Nothing was more delightful to his soul than to know God now in mercy as His Savior through His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Even in the context of our passage in verse 16, where Jesus tells him, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer now. For the sake of My name. This is what is illustrated in our passage this morning over the first two to three years of Paul's Christian life from Damascus Road, and here's the first three years. Paul is such a pivotal character in the book of Acts. Indeed, he is such a pivotal character in the New Testament. He is such a pivotal character in human history, world history. Jesus of Nazareth, the creator of the universe who became a human being, made Paul his own special mouthpiece and his own special pen in order to write to unfold the doctrinal meaning of Jesus' atoning death. To unfold the Christian gospel doctrine of justification. Being made right with God by faith and faith alone through God's grace alone. He was His pen to write, all my people hear my voice, and this is how they walk in this life, in holiness, bearing the fruits of new birth of the Spirit. And therefore, it's really important to understand as precisely as we can Paul's early history right after his radical conversion to Jesus. And so in order to do that this morning, along with our passage here in Acts chapter 9, we must also bring in and incorporate the Apostle Paul's own account from Galatians chapter 1. So that's where we're going. So... Jesus just appeared in his resurrection body to Saul on the road to Damascus. He is converted to Christianity. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins going to the Jewish synagogues throughout the city of Damascus and preaching Jesus that he is God the Son, the Son of God, that He is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. This is the Christ. And then you do that, 
right? Because Paul heard other Christians do that. And it drove him to try to kill them legally and imprison them. And so Paul, now you do that in the Jewish synagogues. And what you would expect to happen, happened. Beginning of verse 22, Acts 9. Paul confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Okay, that's what Luke tells us. Now, what seems clear from the whole record of the New Testament on Paul's early life is this that what we just read there didn't all happen within the first six weeks of his conversion or the first three months or the first year. But up to three years Luke just gave us. In other words, look again at your text. Actually, between verse 22, he's proven that Jesus is the Christ, and verse 23, when many days had passed, at least two and a half years just went by. At least. After verse 22, Paul left Damascus and just went east and a little south into that more barren desert area that's called Arabia. So Paul is converted. He's confounding the Jews in the Jewish synagogue. Then, I don't know, three weeks later, a month later, some short time later, he leaves the city and he goes into Arabia for at least two years, maybe up to two and a half years in Arabia. How do we know? So what I want you to do is turn to Galatians chapter 1. Paul, in writing to the churches of Galatia, Starting with verse 11, chapter 1 tells us this, as he reflects back now, years earlier, to this experience. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I didn't get it from Peter or any other Christian. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it by men, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean, ooh, I kind of got an idea in my head. It means Jesus appeared to him. That's how he got it. And he goes to argue back through his history. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers was I. And we know, right? We saw he goes to the high priest, he gets official letters from the Jewish leadership to go way up to Tarsus, in order to apprehend more Jews who are believing in Jesus and bring them back to Jerusalem. That's how zealous he was. Then he picks up. But something happened on the road to Damascus. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, when he, on the road to Damascus, was pleased to reveal his Son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before I became an apostle. 
But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Okay. Luke tells us, when then, after Paul from Arabia goes back to Damascus, and then Luke picks up, now when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket in order to escape Damascus. And so Paul's account is, I was in Damascus. I went away from Damascus into Arabia. Then I returned again in to Damascus. And then, finally, after, this is Paul, verse 18, chapter 1, Galatians. Then, after three years, meaning three years since I left Jerusalem with papers to go to Damascus, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter. And I remained with Peter for 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, Jesus' brother. So, put it together. What are we seeing? Paul's converted to Jesus on the road to Damascus. He preaches for a short time in Damascus. He goes into the desert region of Arabia, there are little, you know, villages and stuff like that out there. And he's probably here and there preaching the gospel. We get this later because Eratus the king is literally irritated with this guy. Okay. So he's in Arabia for two to two and a half years. Then he returns to the city of Damascus and he preaches, continues to preach to the Jews in the city. And the leading Jews of the city finally can't take it anymore. They want Paul not only dead, but they actually concoct a plan to kill him. And so Paul, along with his disciples, he escapes the city. And finally now, after three years, last time he had been to Jerusalem was getting the papers from the high priest. Three years later, he finally returns to Jerusalem. And all of that is in line with what Luke tells us. It's just that Luke, in his historical narrative, it's not that important for him to say three years have passed. Nor was it important in his fast-moving narrative to talk about Paul going off into Arabia. I hope you like history. Gosh, I hope you like Bible history. What in the world is Paul doing in Arabia? This is not the Arabia of Sinai where Moses got the Ten Commandments. This is up by Damascus, massive area. If you keep going, it even covers what we got Saudi Arabia and all that today. He's in Arabia. What is happening there? I have a real strong opinion. I think this is what's going on. Jesus told him, leave the city. I want you to go over here. Get away. And I want you to get with the scriptures. Because Paul, I'm going to open the scriptures to you. And I'm going to teach you much. Now to begin with, Paul, yes, he's got physical scrolls with him. The Hebrew and most likely the Septuagint, the Greek translation. But Paul has Moses and the Psalms and the prophets written on his mind. But now, here in Arabia, since his conversion, he is now a new creation in Christ Jesus. He was seeing everything in the Hebrew Scriptures with a new lens. The lens that allows him to really see what's actually written on the pages itself. The lens of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's one thing that's happening. 
And I say that this is how Paul talks about just that, about himself and every Christian who's truly born again. This is how he talks about it. 2 Corinthians 4, 14-18, he says, But their minds, talking about his fellow Jews under Moses, their minds were hardened. Now he brings it up to date into the first century, like the people he's preaching to in the synagogue, like he just was before Damascus Road. For to this very day, when they read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the same veil where they can't see, like you can see Moses' face, the same veil remains unlifted because that veil is only lifted or taken away through Christ. So yes, to this day, whenever the first five books of the Bible are read, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Can't see. Paul read them, and it drove him to kill Jesus' disciples. And then he says this, but when a person turns to Jesus, the veil is removed. And we, Christians, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord in the Scripture, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay. That's his view on it. Paul in Arabia was delving into the Holy Scripture and he's getting that experience just like we are. But, and this is a big but, he was getting just like the other apostles of Jesus, he was getting so much more than we ever get. But we got it because Peter and Paul gave it to us what they got. Do you remember the risen Lord on the road to Emmaus with a few of his disciples, how he opened up the Scriptures and said, see it, see it, see it, see it, see it. This is, how, this is how Luke says it, right? And beginning with Moses, books of Moses, and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And Jesus was doing that for 40 days. That's what Jesus, the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in His many appearances to Paul in Arabia, that's what He was doing with Paul. And that's precisely what Paul means when he says in Galatians chapter 1, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Okay, let me just stop for a minute. The gospel that I, Joe LeMay, preach is man's gospel. I got it from men who wrote it. What Paul is saying, that's not the unfolding of the meaning of Christ, particularly to the Gentiles. I did not sit at the feet of anyone to get it other than 
the resurrected Lord Jesus. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He argues for it. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by them, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. So Paul was under the direct teaching of the resurrected Lord Jesus Himself. When He got to Damascus, He did not start going to Bible studies and Bible classes under the teachers. They were there in the church. It's not what He was doing. It's why He says this in Galatians again. But when He who had set me apart, even before I was born... And who called me by His grace on the Damascus road, He was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. He says, soon as that happened, this is what I immediately did not do. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before I became an apostle. To talk to them. But I went into Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter for two weeks. Jesus, in other words, in Arabia, and beyond that throughout Paul's life and ministry, Jesus was fulfilling what he told Paul in his very first resurrection appearance to him on the Damascus road. When he essentially says, Paul, I'm appearing to you and I will continue to appear to you. I'm going to instruct you as my apostle. I get this from Acts chapter 26 when Paul, years later... In the temple, when they're about to try to kill him again, recounts the Damascus Road experience, and this is what he says in Acts 26, 15 to 16. I'm struck down, the light's there, I'm on the ground, and I say, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, because I have appeared to you, Saul, for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me. And to the things in which I will appear to you. Jesus himself was guiding Paul through the Hebrew Scriptures. He was showing him the, the in-depth meaning of the cross, of the atonement, of justification by faith alone. In other words, Paul, directly from Jesus, was getting the theological goods of how the gospel of the Jewish Messiah goes to non-Jews, goes to the Gentiles without those Gentiles needing to become Jewish to be saved. That's what he is getting. If you know your New Testament, you know how really important that is because that is the number one main contention in the early church in the first century. He's the apostle to the Gentiles like no other apostle is. And so, these are extraordinary experiences that Paul was having. Experiences. Talking with Jesus. 
Jesus choosing to appear to him again and again and to instruct him. And the result of those experiences of Paul are strong, clear doctrine throughout his epistles. That's why from the foundation of the world, God chose Paul to reveal his resurrected son to him in order to make him the apostle to non-Jews. This is how he says this in chapter 2 of Galatians. And right here, this is a not the same Jerusalem trip. This is a different Jerusalem trip more than a decade after the first one. He says this. And when, because he had lots of discussion with the other apostles there in Jerusalem. And when James, that's Jesus' brother, when James and Peter, that's Peter, and John, that's John the son of Zebedee, Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, the Revelation, when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go with the Gospel to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And his whole point in Galatians is that he is on the same authoritative level as Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, and the other hand-picked apostles of the resurrected Jesus. Paul is not just another convert to Christianity, but he is a chosen apostle, a revelatory spokesperson. He is the one with the theological goods, particularly on how the gospel goes to non-Jews. He has the content given to him by the resurrected Jesus. This is so crucial to grasp for every one of us as we now in our lives endeavor to commune with God as we are reading what this man Paul wrote. Just I'm going to read three, four little text, and just hear the words coming out of his pen. This man who was encountered by the resurrected Jesus on Damascus Road, and numerous times in Arabia, and then other times, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, "In Christ Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures." And then he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 Christians at one time. Then he appeared to his own brother, James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, now you've got to get this, all of those appearances were during the 40 days after the resurrection. Six weeks. Paul's Damascus Road experience doesn't happen till three years later. He is totally on a timeline. Weird. That's why he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, 
unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen with my eyes Jesus our Lord? And then that very strange passage in 2 Corinthians 12. He writes, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, and he's clearly referring to himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether, whether he or I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And finally, one more. He writes in Ephesians chapter 3. Church there in Asia Minor, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. He didn't take it. He didn't ask for it. He didn't say, I want to have that. Jesus, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up, go into town. I'm going to tell you what you need to do then. It was the grace that was given to me for you. That is this, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Don't you thank God He wrote? That's why the next thing he says, when you, and not just for those Christians in the first century, for us today, when you read this that I, Paul, have written, you, you can perceive, you can see my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. To me... Though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery which had been hidden for ages in God. That's what is happening in Arabia for a couple years. And then Paul leaves Arabia and he returns again to the city of Damascus. And he continues to preach to the Jews in the synagogue until Paul and his disciples find out that the leadership of the Jews is concocting a, a plot to get him killed along with the secular government of the city, the governor. We know this because years later in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 11. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. 
And so Luke, now back to our passage, says, His disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, finally, back there again, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple, obviously. But these Christians are very familiar with Saul. He's the gang leader with a legal religious authority. He's already killed some of their friends or family members. Many are in prison or were in prison and had their, their properties stripped from them and had to leave town. And now he comes back saying, I'm a Christian. And they say, this is a trick. He's trying to infiltrate our ranks to do greater harm to us. This is what they're feeling. And so, we don't, we don't know. We don't know when. Was it in Jerusalem? Before Paul got to Jerusalem? We just don't know this, but somehow Barnabas met Paul. Remember Barnabas showed up earlier you know, pretty wealthy guy, sold one of his properties, gave all the proceeds to the church to help the, the widows and the poor. Here's Barnabas. He met up with Paul, talked with Paul. He heard Paul's testimony, and clearly he heard the testimony of other Christian Jews who came with him from Damascus. What he's telling you is true. He has been so faithful there, risking his life preaching the gospel. And Barnabas says, this is, I know it's true. So he says, I'll tell you, where, tell you how we find him. Let's go. And so he takes Paul to visit two apostles, Peter and James, Jesus' brother, who was made an apostle by his brother in his resurrection appearances. You read that verse 27. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so there's Paul. He's in Jerusalem, and he's only in Jerusalem for two weeks. Now, two weeks in one day, 15 days. Until, because he's going to the synagogues, particularly the Greek-speaking Jews of the diaspora in Jerusalem. And remember how angry Stephen got them? Now, Saul gets them that angry, and they not only want to kill them, they have a good plot to kill him. Where I started this sermon, Paul took up his cross to follow Jesus. So he meets with Peter, James, Jesus' brother, and they give him a pass to fellowship with the church here and there. And then, of course, he spends a lot of time with unbelievers in the synagogues, preaching to them and angering them. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Clear lesson through this man's life and through the whole book of Acts. And that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ divides. Paul and all Christians, all true Christians who are born of the Spirit of God, are no longer of this world. In the world, have a mission in the world, but not any longer of it. 
the message of the cross of Christ will be the means of saving some. And that same message, that same gospel, will be the means of causing others to hate your guts. And for many over the centuries to get them killed. And so in Jerusalem we see the situation got so heated up again. First Damascus, now here they want to kill him. So the church helps Paul sneak out of town. Take him down to the sea, the Mediterranean Sea by Caesarea. Get him on a ship and sail right on over to his hometown of Tarsus. And the main reason... Paul was willing to flee for his life was because Jesus told him to. That's what Paul says. In Acts chapter 22, when Paul reflects on this first Jerusalem trip after his conversion, this very one right here, he says this, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so, Luke, here in the book of Acts, tells us Paul went back to his hometown of Tarsus. It's over 300 miles away. That's a long way away with no trains. And you're walking or you're on a boat. 300 miles away in the region of Cilicia. And that is exactly how Paul recounts it also in Galatians 1. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter and remained with him for 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Then I went away into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, which we know. Luke will let us know that later. He's in Tarsus, which is Cilicia. Then eventually Barnabas will get him and bring him into the region of Syria, where Antioch is. And so, Luke lets us know now the great leading persecutor of the church has now become the persecuted. And as a, as a result of that, the ringleader is out of the way. And Luke tells us in verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So Paul, over these three weeks we saw, is converted to Christ. He's a new creation in Christ. He has been plucked out of the world of darkness sin, and he has been put into the unseen kingdom of God's Son. And we saw all he seemed to face were obstacles. Oh, there's joy. It's what kept him preaching. But they wanted to kill him again and again. So welcome Paul to Christianity. And as I began this sermon, the joy of being plucked out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of the Father's love, it also means that during this present evil age, you will be hated by the godless secular world and the godless religious world. Jesus is the way, the only way, 
He is the truth. He is the life. He is life itself. To be a Christian is a call to follow Him. It is a call to stand with Him. The Scriptures written, Genesis through Revelation, the prophets, the law, the Psalms, and the apostles. The Scripture is the truth. It is the final authority of all doctrine of who God the Creator actually and really is. Of how this God saves sinful human beings through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. The Scripture is the truth on how to live and conduct your lives as Jesus confessors during this present age. And Jesus Himself said, If you are not with Me, you are against Me. There is no neutral ground. And it is the Scripture written that defines who's with Jesus and who is against Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth, that preacher crucified on a cross, is the most polarizing person in human history. The Scripture is clear. There is only one person. There is only one name given among human beings under heaven by which through that person, through that name, if they are going to avoid God's perfect, holy wrath, judgment, there is only one name by which they must be saved. Saul of Tarsus came to see the light, the light of truth, and to see the glory of God in and through Jesus Christ. And as a result, he was willing to suffer for it and to be ridiculed for it, to be belittled to have to flee time and again for his very life because of it. And so all of us, no matter which age, where persecution is really hot in some parts of this world right now, or not so hot in others, all of us who have come to Jesus, we are to be willing to take up our crosses and to follow him knowing that if the world, if the cultures of the world, if religious systems hated Jesus, they will hate you if you follow Him. Decades later, as an old man, in his very last writing, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all, everybody who desires to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I want to close by giving you ways to avoid that. There are ways to avoid being persecuted in this present world, no matter which century you live in. First and foremost, the all-encompassing way to avoid persecution is to deny Christ. Deny the Scripture on who He is 
and who God is and what His glory is and what sin is and why it is a glorious thing that there is hell to pay for eternity. And there is mercy upon all who will have His Son and love the message of the Gospel. Deny that and you will avoid persecution. If you're a professing Christian, you want to deny persecution, and you live in the late 30s and early 40s in Europe, then refuse to stand against the murder of Jews by the Nazis in the Holocaust. You want to deny persecution? Then refuse to position yourself in this land and in this culture against the killing of babies in wombs of women. And now, evidently, outside the womb. You want to avoid persecution? then refuse to believe that God's only Son is the only way to be saved from God's wrath and to be saved unto an eternal glory of experience in the Godhead forever. You want to avoid persecution, then refuse to stand for biblical sexual morality. You can avoid it very easily. Refuse, refuse to be against heterosexual sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. Defined biblically as between one biological man and one biological woman. Don't stand against that. You'll avoid persecution. Don't stand against adultery. Listen to the psychological world and have excuses for it. Don't stand against all homosexual sexual activity, no matter what context it is in. You will avoid persecution. Do not stand against unbiblical divorce and thus unbiblical remarriage for those who were divorced in an unbiblical way. You will avoid much persecution. Biblical Christianity is a call to take up the mantle of being a light in the world of darkness by loving God, worshiping God, enjoying God, and walking with God by the Holy Spirit, and thus always being ready when you're asked to give people the reason. I'll let you know what's changed my life and why I'm so thrilled, just not now, but for eternity. I'll tell you about the reasons for the hope that is in me, and thus along with that, always being ready to be hated by all in our culture if it comes to that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your servant Paul, for that horrific, godless, fellow sinner for whom you sent your Son to the cross to make him the chief example of your mercy through Jesus. We thank you that it is only because of your sovereign will and care that Paul was who he was by your grace. And thus is to us throughout 
the last 2,000 years of church history and the next 40 million. Because you have had Him right. Let us be a people. More than ever as we grow older and older, closer and closer to death, to cherish, to cherish the meaning of His words on the pages of Scripture. For Lord Jesus, it's your precious gift to us. Do it, O oh Lord. Do it all the more in us to the glory of your name. Amen.